Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about PicDrop, an image transfer tool I've been using every day for the past three years. Personally, I was sick of using platforms like Dropbox, WeTransfer, and wanted something more catered towards photographers. PicDrop was actually founded by a working photographer, so they understand what photographers need and are continually offering new tools to better organize and help deliver images to clients. With PicDrop, I can easily organize all my photos in one spot, make custom folders for each job, and also send video files. One of my favorite features of PicDrop is that clients can make selections, leave notes, so it streamlines my workflow when working with clients. And I've also never had to explain to clients how to download the photos, which is something I've always had to do with older platforms. It's just really intuitive how PicDrop works, easy to use, easy to access, and like I said, it's a product that I use myself every day and can personally vouch for. And with today's episode, with the promo code BANTER, you'll get two free months of the PicDrop image transfer tool. So all you got to do is go over to PicDrop.com, enter the promo code BANTER when you sign up, and you'll get two free months. So go over, give it a try, and let me know what you think. Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I welcome photographer and the co-founder of Negative Supply, AJ Holmes. I was really excited to get a chance to speak with AJ as I personally purchased one of the Negative Supply's um, film scanning rigs about four years ago. If you're not familiar with their product, uh, what Negative Supply is, is they created these really amazing film scanning rigs. So instead of having to use like an old school like scanner and spend hours um, waiting for scans to process through, what you do with Negative Supply's film scanning rigs as you can actually photograph your film negatives with a digital camera. And besides the rigs, they also make like LED uh, light panels, copy stands, and this really streamlines the workflow of scanning film. Like I personally bought one four years ago and I can quote unquote scan my film by photographing with the digital camera in minutes. Whereas before, if I wanted to get a high res scan, as you know, put it in Epson or FlexTite, you're waiting 10, 20 minutes sometimes just for one frame. But with these film scanning rigs, you just slide your film in there and just rotate it. And uh, this is a really amazing product. So I was excited to talk to AJ about um, his journey with photography and then everything they've been doing with Negative Supply. Um, they're based out in Southern California and uh, make all the product out there. And also, I just wanted to mention, uh, they're going to be having a Black Friday sale. So definitely go check out Negative Supply, uh, their website. It says negative.supply. They're going to be having some really good deals this Black Friday. I'll put the link in the description and you can go check it out. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and thanks so much for listening. All right. Uh, now welcome on AJ Holmes from Negative Supply. Uh, thanks for taking the time to do this, AJ. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Alex. This is It's great. Funny, it's a small world that you were in the LA area and we're only about an hour north of there, so yeah, big glad we could work it out. Yeah, man, big thanks to Stefan Venasco for linking me with you. Um, get, just got a tour of your guys' facility here out in uh, L.A. Uh, pretty impressive, man. Like, when you started this brand, did you think it would grow to where it is right now? Absolutely not. No, I mean, we our first product launched on Kickstarter back in 2019. It was the Film Carrier Mark One or MK1. Uh, for 35 millimeter scanning and you know it was me and my business partner we thought oh this will be a fun like little side hobby we both had full-time jobs and 
lives outside of negative supply. And uh, yeah, now it's completely different. What were you doing before negative supply? Um, I got my undergraduate degree in photography in 2016 and um, had mostly been doing commercial photo work since 2011 or 2012. And then uh, also worked with in the like commercial food service space. My parents owned a catering business and restaurants and things. So kind of did a couple different things, but my, my bread and butter, my main focus for basically eight to 10 years before negative supply was commercial photo work. Do you think like working on, like you said, your family had a business, did that kind of help kind of learn to run this business at all? You think kind of seeing that or? 100%. What, yeah. What do you think you took away from that? Well, I mean, because, you know, most of what my, most of my mother's business now being in like very high volume catering for hundreds, if not thousands of clients a year, sometimes events that have as many as 800 to 1,000 people at them uh, taught me about volume and scaling and uh, managing a lot of different moving parts simultaneously. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we have several team members here with similar backgrounds and that can be really useful in a fast paced uh, design and manufacturing environment like ours. Are a lot of the people who work here like on your team or they have an interest in photography or not really? No, most of them, yeah. I, I'd say um, certainly a super majority of the team not only has an interest, but also shoots film. Mm. Um, and I, I'd say that's one of the one of the things that a lot of people that apply to work at Negative Supply, regardless of the the title or the or the area of work, um, you know, kind of the first way they find us is because they love film photography. Yeah. And if you love film photography, chances are you know, a, a brand like ours that's been around for nearly five years, you've probably heard of us, uh, or hopefully you have. If you haven't, maybe this is your first time, but um, I, I think that's one of the things that first brings people to us is just a shared love for for the for the medium. And Yeah, and even like in the last five years since you guys started this brand, do you feel like film photography has kind of grown even in the last five years? Absolutely. I mean, we talk to people every day who are going to be like they've either just gotten their first film camera or they're getting into film um and we now more than ever give a lot of advice to people on what kind of film camera to buy okay like oh like we'll we'll have you know a call with someone about sales or support maybe about one format and then we end up talking about 120 and 4x5 or 8x10 because someone on our team uh, shoots. I mean, our our team collectively shoots one ten up to eight by ten. Yeah. So we shoot everything. We all work with these formats personally. So it's kind of cool to help people on that part of their kind of journey with this too. Yeah, it seems like an interesting product because I would imagine, maybe I'm wrong, the type of person client's going to buy this. There's they have a serious interest in photography. Like they're somewhat serious about it to make the leap to to buy something like this. Right? It's not just so much of maybe some hobbyists, but I feel like this is like a real like premium product. I feel like you got to be pretty serious about photography to. I think for the most part, yes. But one thing we did establish, you know, in, in later or well, not later 2020, in early 2021 was our basic film scanning mm -hmm. portfolio. Um, and the first product we made there was called our basic film carrier 35. 
and it was a $99 device designed for scanning strips or rolls of 35 millimeter film. And what that did is that kind of opened a new door for us because we always had our pro film carriers and the pro riser copy stand and the pro light source mm-hmm. and pro, pro, pro. But what we were getting more and more were younger people or not, not necessarily younger people, but people wanting to either come to, back to film photography or come to film photography for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's, it's a little daunting. You, you're getting into buying film, buying chemicals maybe, buying film cameras. And so it, it's all, it all adds up. So they, you know, more and more we had people wanting an entry-level solution. So now I'd say it's probably pretty evenly split yeah. between people who are uh, looking for a product that still achieves a lot, provides an, you know, an exemplary film scanning result, a very sharp, fast workflow, but, you know, is still done so on a budget to a degree. And then we still have customers who just want the absolute best of the best build quality, top of the line features, mm-hmm. and uncompromising uh, lists of demands for their product and negative supply delivers on all of them. Yeah, I can vouch for this. I was not paid to say this either. I bought one of my own money two years ago before I met AJ, and I'll say it's a great product. And it's like I was impressed by this, like the quality of like the carrier and everything. It's like metal, metal dials. It's like. Uh, you, you guys said you have like a CNC machine that cuts everything right here down the street in LA. Uh, a r- real impressive product, man. Thank you. Um, I guess to go back, like where do you grow up and like how do you first get into photography? Mm. Oh wow. Okay. So um, yeah, I'm from uh, a town, a town called Columbia, Tennessee. It's about an hour south of Nashville. Um, and you know, I, I'm you know from a very much a, a family of hardworking individuals, entrepreneurs, business owners. And we never really, there wasn't a lot of exposure to art or photography or anything like that growing up, uh, whether it was visual or performing arts, it, it just wasn't really around. Um, until I was in middle school, I, my parents put me and my siblings in a different school. That school had a visual and performing arts program. It was a public school. Uh, which for Tennessee back in the early 2000s to find a public school with a visual and performing arts program was kind of an anomaly. <laughs> it didn't really exist. Yeah. So um, I, you know, this is a unicorn scenario, and I was the uh, play manager for a performance of The Nutcracker in 2005, nice. specifically <laughs> enough. And um, our set photographer for the play that night uh, couldn't be there. And our, the, you know, like the visual performance manager, like the department manager, handed me our Fuji S Pro DSLR from back then that had a Nikon mount yeah. and, uh, you know, had me take pictures of the show. And, and that made me really like, oh, wow, this is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my grandmother gave me a couple of older cameras that she, you know, that she wasn't using old land cameras and things that I just found fascinating. And so from then I, I really kind of started harassing my parents and family to get me a camera. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm like 12 years old. I'm yeah, I, I don't have a job. Like I'm not going to go out and buy a camera. Um, but they ended up finally giving me one for Christmas in 2006. And they, I remember they took me 
to the store. They're like, we're going to go to the store together. You're going to have a say in what camera we get you because we want you to use it. Nice. But they said before we walked in the store, it had to be a film camera. Wow, your parents did that. Yeah. Why did they say, well, what was that like? It, it was a belief that if you're going to get into a new hobby, you know, you're a young kid, like, you know, you're always moving from one thing to the next, like kids do. Like, you're going to shoot film because it's a more, you know, time-consuming process. You've got to learn it. It's not instant gratification. And um, I don't think they quite realized what they, you know, what ball they were setting into motion then. But that was December 2006. Canon was still making 35 millimeter Rebel SLRs. Oh, wow. They did until like 08 or 09. Uh, but I got one of the later Canon Rebel SLRs and 20 rolls of Kodak Gold and a tripod. Dude. That was Christmas. You got some cool parents, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, are, they are pretty cool. What uh, what were you shooting photos of when you first kind of picked it up? Like what? Are you... Anything I could get in front, you know, you know, any, anything in front of my camera, basically. You know, just snapshots, family, friends, traveling, uh, you know, just stuff outdoors. And I... You know, like everybody else, you kind of get the bug, right? It's like it, it it latches on to you and it doesn't let go. And so I started exploring like prime lenses and different types of film and long exposures and using flash and, you know, like all the things that you just kind of, you know, basically I had the the mind and imagination of a 12-year-old kid and now I suddenly have a film camera in my hands and a lot of free time to play with it. So, um, it was it was a it was a perfect time. And if I if I was given a film camera now, like for the first time, you know, I'm 30 years old now. I have obviously a full time job and I stay really busy. Um, I wouldn't have the time to explore and begin like I did then. Mm-hmm. So I I can look at that now and appreciate the enormous amount of privilege in that scenario. Um, And yeah, I'm very glad it happened that way. Yeah, I started off in film and it really forces you, because when I started out, it was before like YouTube and all this stuff. You really had to like, I had books and like learning your errors, like learning how like flash sync works and like all this type of stuff and processing and all, all this man burns so many rolls just going to like cvs and dropping off my film yeah. whereas like uh digital you can i feel like digital i mean i use digital i'm not a digital hater but it can make you sloppy i think film it really forces you to like sit down and figure out your mistakes because it costs money and you don't learn as quickly because you gotta shoot it drop it off and it's like it's true yeah it's it's absolutely true and you know i i don't actually personally own a digital camera um, I had them, you know, when I was shooting commercially, actually, uh, all of the commercial work I delivered to clients from 2013 through 2022, all the digital delivery I did except for two jobs was film yeah. exclusively. And now, you know, when I shoot commercially, I prefer to do it on my eight by 10. Yeah. Cause you know, if, if now when I shoot when I shoot for work, I, I like to do it the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm not, I'm not a digital hater, but 
um you know, we use digital cameras to scan that, our film that's what i was gonna say you, but, you you have an interesting business because you you blend the two because you need digital with your product it's kind of funny it's uh, yeah it's the best uh, yeah both worlds um it is yeah um i guess like when did you decide you wanted to pursue photography as a career did you end up you said you went to school for it yeah i went to school for it so i mean i i started my quote-unquote photography business when i was still in middle school damn dude so you know my my parents when they given me this camera pretty soon thereafter i did get a canon eos dslr as well to, so shooting film and digital with the canon ef system and um suddenly you know i had friends and family asking like oh can you do senior portraits or family portraits and like i don't know what i'm doing but sure and and you know, you start to figure it out and that kind of turned into a business. And my senior year of high school, I probably photographed a third of my senior class's portraits. Damn. And, you know, and then I, um, I decided I'd go to the community college just to stay close by cause I had built up a, a lot of clients locally. So that's what I did. And I was, I was a business major initially. I did that my first two years. And then my last semester before I was going to transfer to university, um, you know, my advisor came to me and said, Hey, you know, I was shooting mostly digital at this time. This was like 2012, 2013. Yeah. I was getting ready to go back to film, but I didn't know that yet. <laughs> my advisor came to me and said, Hey, you've got to, you got to take an art elective. You need, you need three more credits before you can transfer. And I'm like, what the hell? So I went and looked online and they had one class that said beginning dark room. Like, I didn't even know my college had a dark room and it's like in the back uh, it's like basically in a closet of this random building there's a dark room and there's a small class that met one night a week from six to nine on thursday nights yeah and i took that class and it completely it blew my world to shreds was that your first experience with the dark room yeah because prior to that shooting film you was kind of dropping off the lab getting whatever yeah yeah pretty much i mean i had like tinkered around with developing but nothing serious this is my first time being taught how to develop film, being taught how to make a print, a contact sheet. Um, and it, it, it just completely, you know, lit a fire under me. Uh, when I transferred to Middle Tennessee State University the next semester, I was still a business major, but I met with my advisor and it just felt completely wrong. And, um, the next day, I, I changed my major to photography, switched fully over to the photo program at Middle Tennessee State, and went on to be, you know, taught and influenced by some of the most prolific individuals I've ever met, um, and got involved with everything I possibly could in the photo space. What was their program like? Was it kind of geared towards like photojournalism or advertising, or was it kind of whatever you wanted to do? Uh, it was kind of, I would say it was kind of a hybrid program in terms of its uh, approach and application in terms of like real world career paths. But where it wasn't a hybrid program, at least at the time, was in the media used. So I got really lucky because I was there in 2014 through 2016. We still had an RA4 darkroom, uh, an alternative process darkroom, multiple black and white darkrooms, including, uh, you know, upper class, like intermediate facilities private darkroom space a psych wall product photo studio digital printing lab digital darkroom space i mean it's just like 
what were they doing in the alternative darkroom? Was it like people want to do like tin types and stuff? Yeah, tin like... types and uh, oh, lots of cyanotypes. Nice. Um, oh, what was the other one? Oh man, I can't remember the name of that other process now. A lot of the, I didn't really do much with that. Yeah, but that's cool. They had the, you could do it if you wanted. They had a, they had everything. So this program was ninety percent analog. Wow. Um, you know, I was like making. 20 by 24 inch enlargements from six by six black and white negatives. I learned large format at this, at this school. One of my professors, you know, saw my 35 and 120 stuff one day and I was looking over my shoulder at a, at a light table at some negatives. And he's like, Oh, these are pretty cool, but now nah, you should shoot four by five. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, cause what kind of stuff were you make looking at your work now? It looks like you love doing like eight by 10 portraits was like portraiture kind of always your, your thing or what kind of work were you making back in school? I guess I've always made portraits, um, that, that was, I mean, the portfolio of photos that I first showed at middle Tennessee state was mostly editorial and fashion work that I'd been shooting on mostly six, four, five cameras, mm -hmm. the H1 and the Pentax six, four, five N. But, um, you know, back then when I was in school, a lot of the images that I was making that I felt the most proud of were um, architectural or still life or, you know, just kind of found scenes. They weren't normally portraits, mm -hmm. the images I was most proud of early on in my educational career. And then I started to be exposed to photographers like and David Hilliard and Emmett Gowan and Sally Mann and some of these just absolutely prolific large format portrait photographers. They might photograph other things, but their work yeah. that they're most known for is portraits and it's mostly work of their families. Mm -hmm. And so uh, an interview from Emmett Gowan really kind of turned me on to photographing people more and in particular my family. So my second half of my college career was really dedicated to large format portraiture of my family what uh what about large format do you enjoy i mean if you like the process of slowing down to shoot film uh if that's something you really enjoy then you know you put that process on steroids and it's large format mm -hmm. you have to be so absolutely engaged um I mean, there are times now where I'll go to load eight by 10 film holders and I'll know, like, if I'm not going to be with it that day, mm -hmm. I just put them back on the shelf. Yeah. You know, if you can't completely devote yourself in those moments to, you know, creating and, and making a photograph, um, then I'll just grab my, my Leica, you know, I'll just grab the 35 mil and call it a day. But that's why I like, you know, large format. It is a dedication uh, to do anything with it. It's very expensive. And because of that cost, um, you check, recheck and triple check everything. Yeah. What's a box of eight by 10 going for these days? I I've shot four by five. I've never shot eight by 10. I mean, 10 sheets of Portra 400 is 300 bucks. Damn. That's crazy. Um, and it'll probably go up more. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if 10 sheets of Portra ends up being you know, four to five hundred dollars, and damn, I'm a sucker because it looks so good. I'll pay for it. I know. You know, like I'm not. I shoot. I shoot a lot less eight by ten color now. I'll say that. Like, if you look at my recent work, it's gone. You know, the color stuff is four by five.
and most of my eight by ten is black and white. Uh, but you know, you can buy a, a box of you know eight by ten black and white film. You can get for like five to eight dollars a shot. So yeah. a lot less than color being thirty dollars a shot. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild film prices nowadays. But I'm glad it's still around. I, I broke up my Hasselblad this this summer, and yeah, there is something to be said like. At least for me, because I mostly do portraiture. And when you break out that camera versus this the SLR, when it, the subjects like, I feel like they give me more time. Like they're almost more engaged. Do you feel like that with like eight by ten and stuff like that? Because it's, oh, yeah. it's. I feel like it's more in experience for them. People are interested by it themselves. Absolutely. I mean, my thing is, if I set up my eight by ten camera just out in the wild, just photographing a scene or a structure, because I still do that. I don't just shoot portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, my rule is anytime anyone asks me about the camera, I'll oblige and talk to them about it, but they have to let me make their portrait too. Yeah. And so one thing that happens is people are just, yeah, they're bewildered by these tools. And a lot of my cameras are wooden field cameras. They're eight by 10. They're big, they're bellows, you know, huge lenses cable release the focusing cloth the whole thing Mm -hmm. and so it's just there's it's like a choreographed dance every time you shoot an 8x10 camera and I think people's sometimes people are almost entranced by the process Mm -hmm. Uh, they want to ask questions and even I've found people who that maybe wouldn't normally want to have their portrait made they're so enamored by the the process they're like yeah cool I yeah, cool. You can take my portrait because they're like, damn, you're gonna. You, you, they're almost like a, a respect. They're like you're gonna take this much effort to like lug out this huge ass camera. And you got the dark cloth. You got this big ass tripod. Like, let's do it. You know? Yeah, it's that for sure. Um, and for you, like, I'm always curious. I went to photo school myself, but looking back, do you feel like it was a beneficial experience for you? Are you glad you went to photography school? I would not be doing what I'm doing today without it. I mean, negative supply would not exist. Yeah. Full stop. What do you feel like you learned most in school? <laughs> well, I was definitely taught. I I learned most about intentionality. You know, the thing is when you when you make a decision to make a photograph, several discriminate choices have been made along the way. Mm-hmm. What camera you're going to use? what lens you're going to use, what film you're going to use. If you're using available or supplied light, are you modifying it? How are you going to print it? Are you going to scan it? What kind of paper are you going to use when you print it? Are you going to tone it? Like all these questions, do you mat it? Do you not? Do you frame it? Like the thing that I learned in photo school is that if every decision you make is not a discriminate, defensible one, um, then you're probably doing something wrong. The things you do with photography, unless if it is just genuinely a snapshot, but if it's serious work, mm-hmm. um, you think through really to how you want to resolve that body of work, how you want to finish it, how you want to do it. Maybe you never finish it, but along the way, that journey is is filled with just intentional steps, and that's something that you know professors like Jonathan Trundle, Jackie Hegel, Tom Jemison, Chris Harris, people like these that. Um, all of all of whom I'm, I'm still very much connected to, except for Tom, who you know who passed away in 2017. But um, 
I think that's what I learned the most was intentionality and being able to defend a decision. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I guess when you got out of school, I know I kind of mentioned you're doing commercial stuff. Like, what were you doing before you started Negative Supply? I guess. Yeah. So in the immediate, the immediate run up, I, I graduated from you know uh, uh, school in December of 2016, and then after that, uh, you know, my mother was opening a new restaurant in our hometown, so I helped her open that. I, I love that industry, so. I'd already been working in that industry for years with her. Uh, so I helped with that just while I was doing commercial work and editorial stuff as well and lifestyle work. Lots of um, lots of portraits for uh, models, a few agencies, uh, portraits of like authors, headshots. Um, I was doing some product photos, some magazine work for a couple of different, you know, kind of editorial boards and then but the the really the thing that always kind of paid the bills and uh, allowed me to do what I wanted to do was photographing weddings, mm-hmm. and I shot them one hundred percent on film. Wow! You know, I would shoot sixty to a hundred rolls per event, and you know, either four Pentax six sevens or three six four five ends, and multiple F threes with motor drives, just like like you looked like a 1980s wedding photographer but it was a lot of fun <laughs> how are you like because i did weddings at the beginning of my career too how are you finding wedding clients and finding wedding clients that want to pay for a film because that's like a special uh client i would imagine well i think that it, it well, you th- so you think it's a special client but really what the two ways that people found me was either they were looking for a film wedding photographer because i was doing it Back in 2013 mm-hmm. when I started shooting weddings on film. It was cool then, but it wasn't the, like, magnetic fad that it is now. I feel like all the wedding photographers now, and for a while I've been shooting the Contacts, uh, was like the 645. Contacts 645, and now, you know, anymore you see a lot of people using, like, the Sony A7 systems and using certain presets to make it look like film. And the thing is... For me, film has never been about the look. The look is a side effect. It's it's a nice thing. It is the intentionality and the process. If you got a screen in front of your face yeah. and you got a camera with three million autofocus points and a million different metering patterns and automatically yeah, it's a completely different process. It helps you just focus because like I was saying, I broke up my hospital this summer and I was just it was just me and subject. There was no distraction. It wasn't like, like you're saying, look at the screen, like yep. roll in and you miss, you're just 100% completely engaged in the moment. Well, I, I had um, lots of clients sometimes, like when, when I would do in-person consultations, I would typically bring like, you know, one of my twin lens reflex cameras or, you know, a Pentax 6-7 along because people would always ask. I love oh, that. Yeah, they're like, you shoot film? I'm like, yeah, I do. And I'd, you know, pull out one of the cameras and, just, you know, set it on the table and and some people would be horrified. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, this camera's older than you are. But <laughs> the thing is, uh, it's it's mechanical. It's built like a tank, mostly mechanical. And um, I'm like, do you, I'm like, they're like, well, what do you do if you have to change your roll of film? Like the same thing I'd have to do if I have to change a memory card or change a battery or change a lens or anything else, except the difference is, I'm so much more engaged with this and I have multiple cameras. Yeah. And, you know, I have an assistant who's just reloading cameras all day. Yeah. That's, you know, we just keep cameras rolling. 
literally finish a roll in a Pentax 6-7, throw the entire Pentax 6-7, I get a whole other Pentax 6-7 thrown to me. Same lenses on all the cameras. Yeah. Grips on all the cameras. Like, you figure it out, but they loved it. The clients loved it. The thing that drove me nuts when I was doing weddings and you'd like meet with clients is they'd be like, this photographer's going to give me 3,000 photos or whatever, and it would be like this negotiation of like, and you got to be like, you don't even want 3,000 photos. You know what I mean? I'm sure you had these conversations with people where you're trying to like getting to sign like wedding packs. It was so frustrating. I think I just had to like realize like not, I don't need to work with every client. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, my thing was um, because I was shooting film and of course film prices were a lot lower 10 years ago, mm-hmm. a lot lower, less than half on almost everything. But film processing and scanning has kind of stayed about the same. Yeah. I mean, it's gone up a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, when I started shooting only film at weddings, my prices in, you know, middle Tennessee a decade ago is pretty much starting at about $4,000. Yeah. And, you know, in California dollars, then that would have been like eight grand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did, I did weddings where I was, you know, uh, shooting film and doing them for seven to 10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prints are extra. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I mean, I'd, I'd like to, I think I'm actually going to do it again. Oh, really? Um, just cause, uh, I like the kind of the engaging nature of photographing a wedding, meeting lots of new people. I love the candid photos. I think that's my favorite thing. It's not the portraits. Yeah, definitely. It's the photojournalism of a wedding. So how do you go from now you're shooting, you're doing the wedding, you're doing some commercial work, like how does negative supply come about for you? Um, well, you know, when I graduated in 2016, I was doing some commercial work, working at my mom's business too, you know, just kind of, just kind of hanging out, you know, I'm a recent graduate, uh, kind of doing my own thing. I got a new uh, Chamonix 4x5 camera. Uh, which I still use today. I've I've had it for four years this month, four years last month, actually. Uh, it's a hell of a camera, hell of a camera. <laughs> um, when I got that, I started shooting a lot more 4 by 5 again because, you know, after I graduated, I'd, I kind of stepped away from 4 by 5 for a minute, thought, eh, I'm, I might be done with this, and then I wised up, got another 4 by 5 camera, and um, but I didn't have a way to scan it. So I was sending my film to a lab in Denver that was processing for me. They did a great job processing four by five for two bucks a sheet. Like nobody does that. Um, but then I had these just stacks of negatives. I had like hundreds that I'd shot in a few months, mostly color that needed to be scanned. So I bought an Epson flatbed. That's what we had used in school and you have the 750 or something? It was an 850 yeah. that I bought, but in school we use 750s. Nice. So I, I bought an Epson V850. was using the, you know, the silver fast that everybody uses. And um, I was having trouble getting sharp scans. Shocker. <laughs> I was having trouble with the software, getting accurate color. You know, that, that you know, between the software and the computer and the scanner and the holders and the film and everything I was using, I could not, I know what this film's supposed to look like. I had printed in the RA4 darkroom for years. I know what this col- what this film does, what these lenses do. I know my gear. Mm-hmm. And then when I see these scans, I'm like, that's a lie. 
this is false. That is not how that was. It looks like flat and the colors aren't matching up. Yeah, yeah. crazy shifted. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and then, you know, can you manipulate it in post and get it where you want it to be? Almost always, yeah. But then I'm spending more time, tons of time. Yeah. And I like doing that in the RA4 darkroom. I do not like doing that behind a computer. And especially if you're doing it for work, if you're shooting weddings or whatever, like you can't, it, it's fine if you want to spend the time with one image or whatever, but when you're doing it at scale and doing a bunch, it's just like, it, 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 time is money. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I mean, to that effect, uh, I I had, you know, a company that would edit and edit my cold photos for me because I was so busy shooting back then that I was just moving to the next thing. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be that way now. Uh, I'd just do it myself. But, but yeah, so the frustration with getting back into 4 by 5 and trying to scan with a flatbed can you make it work? Yeah, you can make it work. But I didn't have the time. I was busy trying to make work commercially and personally. I was working at my mom's restaurant too. So it's like, oh, I've got an hour in the evenings maybe that I can scan or free time to do whatever. Yeah. What, I can scan four images? I've got hundreds. Yeah. I have hundreds. Take you all year. And then each edit, because of all the dust on every piece of glass, on the top and bottom of the flatbed, the top and bottom of the holder, the top and bottom of the film... 10 sides to keep dust free. Yep. Uh, well, you know, like, I don't know, just a saying from my dad that dog didn't hunt. You know, I'm like, so I... <laughs> That's I, a real Southern saying. Right? Yeah, yep. And I I sold that scanner. And, um, you know, right around that time, Kodak Ektachrome E100 yeah. was coming back out in 35 mil. And um, it, it had been back out and... You know, one of my one of my friends at at Kodak sent a couple rolls to me, and um, I was shooting it, and I thought, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna scan these on. Got a buddy with a Frontier scanner. I'm gonna scan these. He's gonna scan them for me. They look terrible. Really, the dynamic range. I mean, these mini lab scanners can't do it. They can't do it. Yeah. Um, Maybe a Noritsu scanning TIFFs. But even the Noritsu, like I've gone to different labs, and if the lab doesn't know what they're doing, because I've had different Noritsus where the lab knows what they're doing and then another doesn't, you can tell them like big difference. Well, at this point in my life, when I was still shooting commercially, I would go shoot weddings and things. I would get the film processed by a lab, mm -hmm. and then I would go and scan it myself at the lab. There was a lab in Tennessee I'd go and pay by the hour wow. to rent their Noritsu HS-18. I've never heard of that. That's cool. Well, it wasn't advertised. <laughs> yeah. but so, And I actually, in college, owned a Fuji Frontier SP-3000. Damn. I had it in my apartment. So, like, you know, I, you ask, how do you, how do you get to negative supply? The reality is... Whether it's virtual drum scanners, drum scanners, flatbed scanners, strip scanners, mini lab scanners of every brand, make, and model from like two decades, I've used it or owned it. Yeah. And at this point, you know, I, I it's, uh, you know, um, late 2018, I'm really frustrated with the, my workflow on scanning, and then I get some, uh, some Ektachrome U100, get terrible scans from a mini lab scanner, just God awful. And then I went and scanned them myself. Still bad. Yeah. A little better, but still bad. <laughs> uh, still not anything I was proud of because I can see the positive. Yeah. I can see that image and the scanner doesn't see it that way. So um, I was told about, a, you know, a couple people that were scanning film with a digital camera. I'd seen this in college. You know, we'd kind of been exposed to it a little bit, but it was always very much a DIY, you can scan your film with a digital camera. Yeah. 
But then I saw a couple guys commercially doing it, like really doing it. And uh, I had a couple rolls of Ektachrome scan that way. And I saw the viability, the quality, but it was an expensive service because they were having to scan the film slowly. They didn't have a holder that would let you go from frame to frame yeah, with so an advanced like wheel. and Maneuver each little yeah. yeah, and keeping the film flat was, was an issue, and keeping light out was an issue, and all these things. And so, you know, between me and my business partner, uh, Saxon McClama, who's, who's our one of our co-founders, but also our director of design now, uh, you know, we really put our heads together and just said, let's find a solution mm -hmm. for scanning 35 millimeter. And again, it was really ectochrome. It was the, you know, rebirth of slide film that kind of made this happen. Wow. Um, so inadvertently, Epson and Kodak did, did us a lot of favors. So originally, it was really you kind of making the product for yourself, like initially. It wasn't. That's how a lot of our things have been made, Yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. We made our first 4x5 holder four years ago. Well, I was telling you one of the formats I was struggling with was 4x5. We made our 35 carrier, and the next, the next carrier we launched, if I'm not mistaken was the four by five holder it just turned four years old um and it's the longest running product consistently in our catalog and you know i don't even know how many of those have been sold but we made that because i needed to scan my four by five film and it's the four by five holder scans the full rebate and image area notch codes because that was important to me with a darkroom background yeah like i you want to be able to show someone you didn't crop anything or if you want to crop, great. You have the full image. Crop if you want to. Yeah. It's an intentional choice. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not intentional when your scanner automatically crops for you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a say in that. So our tools give you that uh, that autonomy again. That was very important. And when when did you decide to like make this like your full time business? Like you you guys made your product, the initial one, and then was, I know you had some partners. When was it? Kind of you decided like, hey, we're onto something here. Yeah. So. We did our first Kickstarter in like June, May, June of 2019, I think, for the film carrier Mark One. That coming fall before Christmas, we launched a little mounted slide holder, a ProRiser Mark One copy stand, and our 4x5 holder and our Pro Mount system. The following winter, February of 2020, we launched the film carrier 120 on Kickstarter. How much did you guys raise on your Kickstarter? Uh, I want to say the film carrier 120 was like 150,000. Yo, were you, 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 I mean, were you pretty surprised? Like, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, pretty, oh yeah, we were pretty surprised. You could say that. <laughs> yeah. We were stunned, yeah. you know, it's like, and then, then the reality set in of how the hell do we make all these? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's great, but, uh, and I remember Saxon called me, I was at, I had I'd taken a job working at a different facility. I helped them open their, basically their restaurant and a commissary kitchen, and I, I was doing catering work for them. Mm. And I took a call in my office that day, and I, I it was a good job. Like, I wasn't planning to leave this job. Yeah. I like this job. <laughs> and Saxon was like, um, I, I, think you need to, I think you need to put in your two-week notice. Yeah. I'm like, oh, right. How big was that first order? The, uh, I mean, well, for the film carrier 120s, like, you know, we, we basically, how many was that? It was, 
225 film carrier 120 sold in a month and you know it's like a four or five hundred dollar film carrier i mean it's not cheap no but uh people believed in it and we had some really great friends that early on that made that project successful because they shared about it they supported it but they told others and um we haven't forgotten any of those people um many of them are still very good friends of ours today that uh, still talk about our product and, and our story but we use the funds from that kickstarter campaign to uh not only fill all those orders uh but to relocate the business from where it was based in philadelphia to california we moved out here one month after uh it was suggested that i should put in my two-week notice oh. in 30 days I uprooted basically my life and moved to California. Uh, my whole family's lived in the same county I was from for 180, 170 years. I'm the first one in a long time to get out of there. Wow. And it was not easy. It hasn't been easy, but um, I do like it out here. Yeah, the weather, sunny every day. And like, how is that? Because I, I run my own business, been a freelance photographer. But when you're starting a business, like even that initial order, like it's got to be somewhat daunting. And then even see where you're at now, like you guys have all these employees, this big office facility. Like every time you kind of level up, is it is it daunting every time? Or are you just kind of used to it at this time that you're just kind of keep building? Or how do you kind of manage that? I don't really think, I mean, no, it's daunting every time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I think if, if it's not daunting, you're not taking a big enough risk, mm -hmm. you know, and if you're trying to really grow and continue to shake up an industry that was all but dead 10 years ago, then you've got to take on risks. We've got to do the things that bigger companies are too averse and too horrified to try. Um, and you, you, I would imagine you guys can kind of pivot easier. It's like, because it, it's like... Yeah, I will say it gets harder as we grow, as, as you know, rent goes up and we we have a bigger team and yeah. um, we have more equipment and utility bills are higher and insurance costs more and, you know... And every time you offer a new product, that's like a big investment. It's a big investment. And yeah. that means there's more in inventory holding, more material, more supplies, more <laughs> vendor payments, contractor payments, et cetera. Um, and you know, our catalog now has what nearly 50 products in it. That's amazing. Um, for everything from Minox sub miniature film all the way up to eight by 10 large format. Um, you know, we really, we do it all. So I would say it's always daunting to level up. I think the biggest challenge we've had was probably moving to this new facility. Um, you know, we did it three months ago, a little more than three months ago now. And um, it's gone well, but we were moving right in the middle of the launch of our basic film carrier 35 Mark II, yeah. which has been a very, very, very popular product. Um, I mean, just in the last 100 days since it launched, sorry, 90 days since it launched, um, I don't even know. I mean, probably. I, I have no idea. Many hundreds. Yeah. Many hundreds. Yep. 
uh, probably close to a thousand. Damn. And it's just like they, you know, we had to pause our operation for several days and move everything here. And we were flipping breakers in the new building because we had too too many machines. <laughs> and I had to get an electrician out here twice. Putting out fires. Almost literally. Every day. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, so it, it's always challenging, I think, because we, we think big and then we typically end up doing even bigger. Yeah. So That's good. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about, personally, like I said, I bought this product myself um, before meeting you two years ago. I, I, I love it. But I still have friends. I, and I try to tell them, like, people have a hard time with change. Oh, yeah. What would you tell the people that are, that they can't make the jump to DSLR um, scanning? Like, my one buddy, he's just dead set on the flex tight. He's like, this, there's no way it's as good as a flex tight. That's what he says. It's like, what do you tell that person who is maybe hasn't tried it yet? Um, what are some of the advantages? What would you tell someone why, why they should try DSLR scanning, you think? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Scanning film with the digital camera does not rely on archaic boat anchors, you know, in terms of your scanning hardware. Like, the thing is, a flex-tight scanner... When basically DJI bought out Hasselblad, mm -hmm. um, they all but confirmed their like kind of arms distance, like you know, air hug embrace to film. Yeah, Hasselblad's dead in my mind. Like it's not even what it was before. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that that was pretty evident. It made it laid bare to me that. Not only at, right after that did they announce the discontinuation of the flex tight line, mm -hmm. but they also said, hey, we're not making more parts for them either. Yeah. So we'll service them while we can. And then the people that have paid tens of thousands of dollars for machines, institutional clients, commercial clients. Uh, good luck. Sorry. Yeah, good luck. So for me, it's like, okay, I get it. I, I use the flex tight machines. You can create beautiful work with these machines. But software can be a little bit of a pain. Mm -hmm. The scanners are still relatively slow. Super, super slow. They don't work with uncut rolls of film. So there's, there's, this is just flex tight. Yeah, too. yeah. And not to mention the fact they're tremendously expensive. Mm -hmm. And now if anything goes wrong with it, maybe they can fix it. Yeah. And even if they can, you're out God knows how much money. It's good. They're even more expensive because I haven't really used one since college really in like 15 years, but they're even more expensive now than they were back then to get one. It's, yep. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to me that, you know, I get it, like the, the flex tight argument. Can you make a great skin with it? Of course you can. If you couldn't, they wouldn't have been $30,000. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have had Hasselblad's name on them. Yeah. But that is not an everyday tool. Um, I would say that also, it's, it's not a good tool long-term. The thing about scanning your film with a digital camera, the capture technology, the digital camera, your scanning rig gets better every time you go buy a new digital camera. Mm -hmm. Sony launches a new camera every year. Man, you upgrade every couple years. Every time you upgrade your camera, you just got a new scanner. Yeah. And if our hardware is already as good as it, you could ever want, holds your film flat, it keeps your camera steady, you have a nice, consistent, highly color-accurate light source cool mm -hmm. these aren't things you need to replace as you replace that digital camera and your lens your scans only get better try that with your flex tight yeah you can and what are some of the keys for someone who's just getting into this what's the key to getting a good scan with um a, when you're doing dslr scanning with your guys products i guess 
Um, that's a great question. I would say, so we have a film scanning quick start guide. So anyone that wants to learn how to do this, we have a PDF that we can email. They can request to download it. We send it to you. Real simple stuff. And it is being updated based on our new products as well. So throw that out to start. But in general, um, you know, when you're scanning film with a digital camera, whether it's with negative supply or any other brand, you know, I scan in aperture priority mode the lowest base ISO without doing an artificial pull, so 100 or 200 typically. Normally around F8 on the lens, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm gonna stop down further to get more depth of field. No, you get diffraction. It's all macro, right? Yeah, yeah. you wanna use a macro lens, um, t t typically a dedicated macro, but we tell people you don't have to go out and buy you know, the latest red striped lens or the latest pro whatever i mean i we just posted on our instagram today some scans that we did yesterday with a fuji xt10 mirrorless crop camera from years ago yeah. this is like a 2015 2016 model camera with a nikor 55 ai f 3.5 from the 70s yeah. scans are great there's plenty of dynamic range they're super freaking sharp we could pull a 16 by 20 inch print out of these. Yeah. So um, it's really what's more important than the methodology for capture, in my opinion. It doesn't, all the details, they're superfluous bits of information talking about what ISO and what shutter speeds and what lens should I use. If your holder isn't holding your film flat, it's a moot point. It's a conversation in vain. Mm hmm this is why the tools at Negative Supply have been so popular. This is why we have over 10,000 customers because people use our tools. It holds their film flat, allows them to tell their story vividly, you know, preserves the sharpness of that film image that they spent so much money to produce. Uh, but also, now more than ever, it allows you're allowed to scan the full borders of your film too. Mm -hmm. So you can see the whole image area. I mean, I talk to people all the time that want to use their mini lab scanners or flex tights or whatever and scan the full border. It's like, okay, <laughs> can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, yeah. But with this system, you can. Yeah. Have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> use a negative supply carrier. Yeah. And another, a big part of your business is you guys do the, the light sources. Um, how important is that? Like what, what sets your guys' light sources apart from just going on Amazon and buying like a cheap whatever $50 like LED panel or whatever? Yeah, geez, that's a good question. I would say, I don't really think, at least not early on, we didn't plan on making light sources. But in April of 2020, we launched our first two lines of light sources. Our 4x5 light source basic, as we call it, just an entry-level 95 CRI light pad. And then we launched our pro lights, which were brighter, direct diffusion, higher CRI ratings, uh, could be used with more formats. We never, we didn't think then that lights would become a huge, important part of our business. But this was three and a half years ago. Not many people were making film scanning lights. Mm -hmm. We were kind of one of the first people on the on the block. A couple other brands that were doing it, but uh, our lights now. Um, I won't divulge specifics, but um, completely bewildering volume of lights. I mean, that is that is just 
you know, you asked me earlier when I was giving you a tour, like, what's the most popular thing here? The reality is everything's the most popular yeah. thing here. Yeah. But the lights are absolutely, you know, it, it, they're at the top with, with other things. But our lights are set apart because they are designed for film scanning. They're tested for film scanning. They provide not good uniformity, high CRI rating. CRI being color rendering index, the higher that is, you know, theoretically, the more accurate your color and tonal reproduction will be. So we have 97 and 99 CRI lights. We used to offer 95 and 99. Now we offer 97 and 99, and our 97 is actually cheaper than the 95 used to be, mm. and it's brighter and better. So we're always innovating with our light sources. We have lights that start MSRP as low as $79, and like commercial grade archivist lights that go up to twenty five hundred. Yeah, what's the difference? Like, what what makes that a twenty five hundred dollar light? I mean, what makes that huge light that expensive is the fact that it has hundreds of dollars of CNC machined aluminum parts. Mm -hmm. It is chuck full of the highest quality LED that we can source. Truly, the highest one we can source, uh, and it is painstakingly hand hand assembled. You know, building one of our 8x10 light source pros uh, can take hours. Yeah. Um, so it is not it is not an easy process. I think I think people see these prices sometimes, especially the more expensive items, and they don't realize, like, when we sell an 8x10 light, we're making those one or two at a time. Yep. You know, we're not making hundreds of 8x10 lights. We're making those for the select individuals that need them. And I can vouch for this. I just I got the tour uh, an hour ago, and everything is just made right here in California. Uh, it was really impressive to see in person. Uh, and I, I saw it. now you guys are starting to sell you guys stuff with uh, B and H. You can buy you can buy them there. I think um, Sammy's. Um, how's that kind of been? Kind of growing the business because originally it was just you guys sold online, right? Yeah, we originally sold online, and then uh, shortly after that, we we. Uh had a distribution partner in the U.S. that helped get us into several retail stores. That was that was that was good, uh, but we wanted to focus more on. I mean, we we believed we knew better than anybody else how to get our product into stores, just because it's a very detail-oriented product, right? This isn't like selling film or paper. No, um, you've really got to educate. You got to provide uh, aggressive, you know, really robust resources. And so that's what we focused on doing. Um, now, you know, in the U.S., we're in Unique Photo, we're in Freestyle, Sammy's, uh, B&H, oh my goodness, Picture Line uh, in Salt Lake City, awesome store. Several, several others. I mean, uh, Cinestill, um, you know, just a long list of people in the States and then we have dealers abroad as well, New Zealand, Australia, all over Europe. Yeah, uh, working with a new dealer in in Mexico, uh, and working on a contract. Or you know, outside of even dealers, we have universities, cultural heritage institutions, museums, the state and federal governments all over the world that wow. are customers of ours now. Yeah, I didn't think of that like the whole museums and stuff. There's like because that's like a big businesses like archiving all this artwork and stuff like that yeah. it's massive yeah yeah and one thing i was kind of curious about a few more questions like yeah yeah um the cool thing like you mentioned you guys have so many different products on your website 
it, it can be like a one-stop shop. You can get the whole kit, everything you need to get going. Um, do you see you guys out, yourselves ever getting into the software side? Like I know most people use like film, what is it, Negative Film Lab Pro that kind of partners with it. Do you, you guys think you'd ever get in that side of the business just to make it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'll say some of the products we already work on, mm-hmm. you know, like our LM1, the light meter that that is in development. It's it's very nearly done now. Um, huge software, massive software component to that. Yeah, our film carrier 35MD, our motorized Pro 35 carrier that we launched a couple years back very big software component to that so um i so i would say we already are yeah. working with software um you know we're writing programs uh, embedded systems et cetera, et cetera. things i know absolutely nothing about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh you know so we're already doing that but as far as like software for negative conversion more to the point um you know right now we're we're really paying more attention to uh industry partners community partners mm-hmm. who um are are doing really good work in that space um you know negative lab pro is an option film lab desktop is another fantastic option okay it's a standalone program uh, you can use it on basically any os i typically use film lab desktop because i can export as jpegs or tiffs it's quick and easy a few simple sliders very straightforward process. Uh, and I don't use Lightroom Classic. So, you know, Negative Lab Pro is great, but it's a plug-in for Lightroom Classic. Mm. You know, uh, that's not really my jam. Me neither. i uh, never been a Lightroom guy, but, you know, get out there. If you like it, use it. Yeah, if you like it, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess, looking back at all you guys kind of accomplished here, what do you, what do you feel like you kind of learned most about this kind of building this business and any tips you would give to someone that is looking to start a business or something? Because I feel like you, you must have learned a lot and like gone through a lot this building this thing. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I would say one of the one of the more difficult things about starting a business and running it and trying to grow it is that you know when you see outside influences whether it's competition or pressures from within your industry or outside of it that that you know seek to harm you or inadvertently are causing you or your business harm i it's really easy to take it personally um so you know you've got to be prepared for the fact that if you want to build a business ambitiously um if you want to have thousands of clients the world over and you want a brand that tens of thousands of people follow and, 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 you know, care about and use and support, then you've got to be prepared for some of the consequences, which are that you are going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, you're gonna, there's a lot of sweat equity to do this work. And when I sometimes be on Reddit or, you know, Facebook pages or whatever, see people talking about negative supply, like, oh, they're, it's crazy expensive and they're ripping people off and <laughs> all these different things. I'm like, you know, here's the thing. How naive, just to be candid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know 
some people might listen to this and think, oh, AJ sounds like he's out of touch. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to tell you what's out of touch. <laughs> thinking, thinking for a millisecond that you can run a business that gainfully employs an entire roster of employees in the most expensive state in the country that hand assembles an entire catalog of products. Yeah. And then you want us to be able to sell them for the same prices as injection molded goods from you know, another country. Yeah, because like I was saying when, before we talked on this, like you get, it's a quality product. Like the carrier that I bought, the 120, that thing is going to last a lifetime. It's, you could throw it through a yeah, window, yeah, pick it up and keep scanning your film. <laughs> so my thing is, you know, I, I think that's the biggest piece of advice I'd give somebody. Like it's real easy, real easy to take feedback like that. Personally, I clearly do. I mean, you could probably tell in the tone of my voice a second ago, but you know, for me, um, I think the the big advice is don't take it all personally. You know, keep your chin up um, and be prepared to work really hard. But also the advice that I do not take, but I am happy to give is uh, try to enjoy it. Yeah, you can. You don't because you're just too busy with the day to day. Yeah, I mean, the reality is I, I slow down here and there. Like I, I try to try my best. Um, but it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a lot and, and everything is constantly getting more expensive. I mean, even, you know, you hear people talk about inflation all the time before they were talking about inflation. I can tell you as a business owner for nearly five years, it's been getting more expensive but, but the whole time. It, 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 dude, even been here in California the last five days, it's insane. Like I live in Boston. It's not a cheap place to live, but the gas, it's literally $2 more for gas out here. I went into a diner and got breakfast. I got like, it was nothing fancy. It was like 35 bucks. <laughs> it's like, it's an, it's crazy out here. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, here's the thing. We've had that tough conversation on a few occasions of, you know, like long-term, does, does negative supply, you know, stay here? Um, but the reality is um, we love California. There's a tremendous number of manufacturing partners here that we rely on. Uh, we have developed um, very good relationships with tons of vendors and contractors, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and our team. You Almost mean- everyone on the team is a California local. I mean, they're incredible people. Um, and the, the, the love of arts and photography and tinkering and 3D printing and machining and all those things out here, yeah. you don't have that where I'm from. Nah. Yeah, it is. It is a cool place, man. There's a lot of creativity in the starts out here, and then, but more so like the product. I would say is like, yeah, people complain about price. Like, you guys make a quality product, and, and people are gonna think this is like a sales pitch. I'm not getting paid to say this. It's like a quality product. It's made by a person. Like, I'm sure if you guys wanted to, you could just make it cheaper and shittier. But it's like you stand by. You wanna stand by. Stand behind what you're making, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. We want to. It's not only that we want to. We do. Yeah, exactly. So, like you know, anything we we put our name on, you know, everything we sell has a two year warranty. But we we had a person reach out this week who had an an issue with their film carrier Mark One that they got back in 2019. We fixed it for free. Nice. Like you know how rare that is. We've had like two or three people have a problem with one of the original carriers. Mm-hmm. It's like. Cool, we sold a couple thousand. Yeah. That's pretty good math. Yeah, yeah. But even if it's old, it's like, oh, it's outside of the two-year window. That shouldn't have happened. Let, let, let's fix that. Because you want to, yeah, you want to keep that customer. Um, 
And uh, last question, I guess, like what's next for Negative Supply? Anything you're excited about or anything you want people to know about Negative Supply um, going forward, I guess? I think what's next for Negative Supply is what's always been next for Negative Supply. And it is uh, just continual uh, innovation, continued innovation in the, in the space of film scanning and beyond. Um, we are paying a lot of attention to the industry, paying a lot of attention to what our, uh, what our customers and supporters want, what our, what our dealer network needs. Uh, and we're also paying attention to, you know, brands who, um, very clearly pay a lot of attention to us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'll just say with, with confidence and, you know, absolutely no hesitation, there's a lot in store. Awesome. We look forward to sharing it. There's more happening even this year. We're already in, about to be in November, which is horrifying. Um, but yeah, we have even more we're planning to do this year. And next year is an action-packed calendar of uh, just new ideas, new innovations, new products. Uh, and, you know, the continued growth of, of uh, our team and, and, and uh, our business, I hope. Um, and with hard work, the continued growth and development of our team and business, I'm sure. Awesome. Well, AJ, uh, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Real pleasure. Thank you, Alex. So there you have it. That was the AJ Holmes interview. I uh, just want to thank AJ so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Um, a lot of respect for what they're building over there at Negative Supply. Um, like I said, it's a great product I've been using myself, and um, they're always coming out with new products. So definitely go check out their website at negative.supply, and you can follow them on Instagram at negative.supply. And also, if you want to check out some of AJ's work, he does some really amazing, like, 4x5 portraits. Uh, his Instagram is at AJHolmesPhoto. I'll put all the links in the description. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Negative Supply is going to be having a Black Friday sale. All you got to do is go over to negative.supply.com. Um, check out the different deals they're going to be having this Friday. Um, definitely a great product. If you shoot film, um, definitely check it out. Like I said, it's really well made. Um, and they're not paying me to say this. <laughs> it's a product I actually used myself for four years and uh, can vouch for it. So definitely go give it a try. And as always, thanks so much for listening and take care.